Welcome to the Grace Story Podcast, where inspiring stories are brought to life. This podcast is made possible by Grace College and Seminary, located on the shores of Winona Lake in the great state of Indiana. I'm your host, Dr. Drew Flam. This is the Grace Story Podcast. Today on the podcast, we have the Vice President of Academic Affairs and Professor of Education at Grace College, Dr. Lori Owen. Dr. Owen received her bachelor's degree from Eastern Illinois University, her master's from Ball State University, and her PhD from Walden University. She has accrued nearly 20 years of experience at Grace, including 10 as the Dean of the School of Education, prior to being naming Vice President of Academic Affairs. Dr. Owen continues her oversights of policies and programs for undergraduate and graduate academics and serves as the coordinator for work assessment and development in these areas. And she says her chief priority is to design and implement effective faculty development opportunities, which maybe we'll figure out what that means in this podcast. <laughs> so, Dr. Owen, thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. We just had a, a very fun discussion prior to this about flexibility, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I did not know that one of your special gifts is uh, flexibility. Totally, totally. It is one of my special gifts. And, you know, probably not just flexibility in the uh, sense of being able to stretch, but that has probably proven true in just how you operate in your life. As I have seen you, you are very flexible in how you deal with people and how you deal with situations. Kind of go with the flow. Comes with a short attention span. Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> Has that been the case? I mean, would you say that's a true thing since? Yes. Really? Forever. Yeah. And okay. I don't, yeah, I don't, I think it's because when you have the attention span I have in the energy level, you can't stay focused on anything very long. So you have to train yourself how to use that wisely instead were, of just getting in trouble. Were you that way as a kid, as a I child? Was, how did so. that affect, I mean, you're in education. So how did that affect your kind of childhood education? Well, <laughs> I was not a stellar student by any means. I, um, I would say that as far as learning, it, it was so different then, right? I mean, parents were kind of okay with you being average, an average student. And I think that's one of the battles we face now is not everybody is perfect in everything and that needs to be okay. So I didn't have a lot of pressure, even though my family were educators, as long as I made it to the next grade without too many trips to the principal's office, <laughs> I was okay. Mm-hmm. Where did you grow up? And tell me a little bit about your family. I grew up in Anderson, Indiana. That's where um, I spent my elementary years. So they're all from um, that area, business owners, my um extended families in Arkansas, but we landed in Anderson and we were Lakers here. My grandparents had three businesses um, in North Webster that were very tourist um, connected. So we got a cottage and we started visiting this area. So eventually I moved here and I was actually a Wallacey High School grad a few years ago. Interesting. And then I went to Illinois from there. Yeah. When you went to Eastern Illinois, did you know, I'm, I'm going the road of education, I want to be a teacher, etc.? I actually started at Ball State in the education program, and I completed three years there. And then Illinois licensed differently, so by going to Eastern Illinois and finishing with a um, professor that I had met through family, friends, um, I, I switched there, my license was much more diverse by graduating in the state of Illinois. Interesting. Yeah. So I, only, I really just did upper-level courses in student teaching in Illinois. The rest of it happened to Ball State. Did you uh, immediately go into teaching then after graduating? No, I did not. Um, I was going to be a pediatrician. I think that's what I told everybody. You know, when you're a senior and you have to do all those homecoming things, you want to sound really, little, really excited. So I, I was actually very interested in pediatrics. I still, still, still just love children. And so to me, that was like the ultimate way to get to spend time. I was not prepared for the the dark side or the sadder moments of that career. So I will say that mentors did a really nice job teaching me that quickly. 
that that probably wasn't my avenue. My family was all teachers, so I was never going to be a teacher. Gotcha. <laughs> you know, I was the same boat. My parents are both teachers, and I swore off education in third grade. And I guess I've never been truly a teacher, but I have definitely been in the world of education, education regardless. Yeah. Um, now, how much you fight it, right? Right. So when it's you genetic. when you had your first teaching job, what grade level was it? Um, my first teaching job was second grade. Um, at Leesburg Elementary, I I was subbing in the Wawasee system, um, but I ended up with a full time job at Leesburg, and I was there for many years. Um, most of my time there was in kindergarten, but okay. I started in second grade. Is that the lower elementary always been your favorite? Oh yes, yes, yeah, definitely. I, yeah, I, <laughs> I guess I was a little bit afraid of the what what I might say or do to a sixth grader who was misbehaving. <laughs> kindergarten they felt so innocent for a while, but no, I still love. That's I still I teach four year olds now. I still that's just kind of where I get my energy from is that age group. So at some point in time, you you moved then more into the administration, even at the K-12 level. How, how did that come about? How did you say, you know what, I love kindergartners, but maybe I could be a principal? Oh, no, I was no, I was a classroom teacher. All the way through? All the way through. Oh, Until I, you came to Grace. Until I came to Grace. Really? I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, I was. No, I, I didn't have um, my first administrative role was when they asked me if I would be the dean here on campus. So... It was not something that I had a great deal of passion for or interest in. Um, I loved teaching. So that I taught for 20, ooh, that tells you how old I am, 20 years in the public school system. And then I've been at Grace teaching another 20. So yeah, I loved teaching. How did, okay, so tell us a little bit about that transition to Grace. Like, okay. how um, did you decide, you know what, I'm going to make this leap from kindergartners to college students? It, it was very unexpected. I still remember, this is, I'm a very visual person, so I remember the outfit I had on when I was invited to come to Grace. I had Grace student teachers in my classroom and Grace students um, coming into the room. So I had met the faculty through that, but I really knew very little about Grace, even though I grew up in the area. Um, Mike and Carrie Yoakum at the time were, you know, and they're still good friends of ours, but they were friends and I knew they were both here. And um, I just, one spring, they asked if I would come over and consider talking about a position. And so I just... I actually had actually had lost a student that evening on the bus in a rainstorm. So after I found the student and we got him back home, I came to Grace and it was not anything I had ever ever thought of. Um, and I sometimes I still can't believe I, I'm you know that I would I moved to this age group. But I said kindergarten and and first year college students they both miss their mom and they both need hugs and they both need snacks. So it's very similar to, to kindergarten. <laughs> so um, I I just realized they're just you know kids as well that need attention and love and care yeah so did you come first to grace then as a faculty mm -hmm. member mm -hmm. yeah started that following fall in the school of education okay and taught for how many years before you transitioned then At to 10 den yeah no it was my 10th year okay mm -hmm. your 10th year mm -hmm. you transitioned to dean mm -hmm. okay so now now we're getting into the kind of leadership part of this um so how you know You've kind of been on the front lines, teaching, classroom, all of that. And you still do that as a dean. Mm -hmm. um, but w what made you decide, yeah, I'm going to make this leap um, into a you know really important leadership role on campus? <laughs> were you were you coerced or, yeah, or did you? OK. <laughs> I don't know. What do I say? No. Um, no, I was actually it, it, it again was not something I'd consider. I don't see myself having. I, I guess I don't see some of the skill sets that are required in the job. I don't see myself as having some of those. So when I was first asked to do it, um, I really struggled with the decision. Um, I loved my team, and I loved 
I was in like a perfect world, right? I loved what I was doing. I loved my students. I loved the extras I was able to do on campus. Um, but I also have always believed that when somebody, um, someone in leadership that you trust and value um, asks you to try something, and, and I totally believed I was just trying it. I, I never felt like if I didn't make the decision, something would happen, or if I didn't, I didn't like it, I couldn't go back. I never felt like that. I always felt like it was a genuine offer to come and try this, try this on for a while. So you when know. you think of your 10 years as dean, um, I have a couple questions here I want to ask, but w- what would you say was your emphasis? Or we kind of look back on the, the Dr. Owen era as dean. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> uh, I mean, what would they say was kind of your, this was the direction she led during that 10-year period that was really um, important? I think because I was coming out of the public schools and the connection with Grace, um, I, I think I followed maybe Ron Manahan, who was my president, his passion about community connection. I was relatively surprised when I got <laughs> invited to come here that there was this full school of ed and that it was actually graduating all these teachers. And there was not a lot of connection between the school systems and, and Grace at that time. So I think probably under his wing or under his shadow, maybe even, um, I felt very, very driven to connect those populations. I love the schools I taught in. I, I you know, valued those opportunities and my le- the leadership there. And so it seemed very natural to, to bring those two together. So I would say that that's probably one of the things when I, you know, when you look back and go, ooh, what do you, what did you think you did well, right? Mm-hmm. I think that the School of Education, now it's not just me. I mean, I, there's an incredible team over there. Um, but but we were able to really get in and partnership, call ourselves true partners yeah. with the local schools. As somebody who moved into the community and didn't, didn't even work at Grace when I first moved to the community, you quickly saw that tie between the local school systems and Grace College. I mean, we we almost literally yes. have an elementary school on our campus, um, and, and yeah, lots lots of lots of local administrators are grads now. So they've like my children, right? And then several teachers. I can't go into a building that there's not grads there. So that's so exciting. That that's been um, our experience with our kids. It's like, oh. who's your teacher this year? Oh, she's a Grace grad. <laughs> He's a Grace grad. You know, that's yep, that's been oh, they're yep. they're that principal's yep. a Grace grad. Interesting. But I also I I will say I think it's I don't think they feel like they owe us right. in the partnership. I sure. think they respect and value the quality that the, that team. I mean, I'm not in charge anymore, but it's still <laughs> yeah, the quality of the program is is outstanding. So yeah. Tell us a little bit about your um, leadership style, how you would describe, you know, because now you're moving into an even more significant role. It has become per- more permanent here in the last six or so months, being named um, full time as the as the VP of Academic Affairs and overseeing all faculty. Um, tell us a little bit of, kind of about your leadership style and what that looks like. Well, it probably just mirrors my teaching style, I guess, because that was a leadership role in a different sure. format, but highly relational. Um, I want to know the people that I work with and um, kind of know what makes them tick, so I, I feed off relationship. Also, um, more of the kind of guide on the side, like walking along. I, I like to watch others succeed. It just brings me great joy to see other people thrive. So that's how I taught, and I hope that's how people think that I lead, care deeply about them and want them to be successful. What's that looked like for you? And one of the interesting things about your leadership um, as the vice president of academic affairs is, and you kind of entered this in the midst of this COVID time where, you know, being a highly relational person mm-hmm. and then everything's mm-hmm. Zoom and not in person. Uh, how have you navigated that for yourself trying to lead the way that's natural for you, but but in a in an environment that's not normal? 
I think I think the transition. I had I have not had ten years in the relationships that I had before COVID. I I probably would not have been successful. Mm. I I don't think, but because I had built those relationships. Those were easier to continue via Zoom or a, or a good phone call. Um, at the same time, I moved into a multi-generational home, so maybe God was just protecting me for too many relationships at that time. So, But I, I never felt yeah, – I, I was frustrated because I'm, I'm a big hugger, right? And, and I like that physical uh, connection with people. But um, I don't feel like relationship-wise, um, just the – yeah, I, I feel like faculty stepped up and, and did what they needed to do and in all sorts of ways, which included keeping me informed and letting me be part – of what was happening every day, yeah. One of the things you uh, mentioned here, and I have to read it because you know I, I need to know exactly what this means and don't want to do it incorrectly, but you talked about one of your priorities now in this new role is to really think about designing and implementing effective de- faculty development opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does that mean and what does that look like? It means um, giving educators, classroom teachers, um, more tools in their tool belt to teach effectively this generation. So some of that's technology, some of that's just teaching strategy, some even just, I guess, proximity with students. There's there's several things when you go through an education program called pedagogy, right, that mm-hmm. the art of teaching that you pick up on. I did not realize until I started at Grace that the majority of faculty don't have a teaching degree. That was new to me when I came here. So I was surprised by that. And people have been so kind and, and have you know kind of invited me. And I know I worked with Tom Edgington and, and the Behavioral Science Department, but trying to do more uh, classroom strategies to be really intentional about you know learning modalities and differences. And um, so I think that's what it means. It means giving faculty tools that they can practice. So I was a little surprised at the college level. Faculty development felt more like more philosophical and, you know, granted we are college, but I thought, okay, that's important, but we're a teaching college and it's important when we start saying our students are going to be with us two hours and 20 minutes, that <laughs> it's well worth their time, right, to be with us two hours and 20 minutes. And part of that's just keeping them engaged. So it's helping faculty feel more equipped um, to do that part of their job. That's great. So that in teaching, in-person teaching experience, how do we make it great for students? And I've never really thought about that myself. I mean, so many of our faculty are... <laughs> amazingly qualified um, with wonderful degrees from wonderful Mm -hmm. institutions in specific disciplines, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they've spent much time in a classroom teaching. And that could be a long two-hour and 20-minute time frame. (laughs) Yes, I can imagine. (laughs) So so I think that's, I think it's just taking again what what I was raised doing, right? That kind of, you know, 20-20-10 philosophy where you have 20 minutes of content, 20 minutes of engagement and activity and kind of 10 minutes of practice. Um, So that's how we teach education majors. So it feels like another step, I guess, in that process. That that, if that's the way God equipped me and skilled and gifted me, I want to be able to use that wisely at this level too. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's great. I, I uh, do want to hit on something you mentioned, multi-generational family. Now, yes. interestingly enough, your parents were my neighbors. They were. <laughs> till they sold their house just recently, mm-hmm. and they, they moved in with you, and a bunch of other people moved in mm-hmm. with you. So um, th- that is sort of an interesting part of your story, and something I find fascinating about you is kind of this, uh, your life and your home are, you know, open books your home's a revolving door so (laughs) tell us a little bit about like what's your current family living situation look like and and why is that valuable to you okay well um like you said my parents were your neighbors and then we lived four five doors down right and 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 that was too far apparently it was it was well it it wasn't it wasn't but um it it was i have a 
I, I feel so blessed. I mean, how many really people my age have both their parents still alive and actively part of their lives, right? So I felt very blessed by that. I have always had a very connected family. My children are, are very connected. My foster children are so very connected with me. Um, and so it was valuable to me to, to keep that connection. My siblings have both kind of moved into other areas, and I've always felt sad for them a little bit, and more importantly for their for their children. I think if you'd ask any of my children, like, who are your best friends? I'd be, oh, grandma and grandpa, right? And they've always had a great relationship. So it got to where it was really hard to, to be down at the house with all of these people. Like you said, you never really know who's going to be living there at what time, but all of these people and all of this excitement and fun, and they were four doors down, and yet it it was um, difficult for them in their current health situation to come and just enjoy, right? Mom needed handicapped accessible areas, and our house really wasn't. Our pool area at that time really wasn't. So it really, I just, I struggled. And then every time I go down there, I always felt like I didn't want to leave. Like, I just felt, I felt like, man, I... This is really important, special time. So we joked with my dad, and you know my dad. He's a bit of an old curmudgeon, right? So we <laughs> joked with him a lot for years about, you know, why don't you just buy a house we can all live together? And and um, he'd, you know, mumble and rah, rah, rah. And then one day, I, well, right before COVID hit, but one day he just said, well, have you been looking at any houses? And so we just took off and found a perfect home that has three kind of homes stacked on top of each other, and that's where we moved in. Okay, so, so it's it's um, your parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's 11 of us right now. 11 in the and house. And we range from eight weeks to 87. And then <laughs> <laughs> and then there, the 12th is due maybe Wednesday. And wow. so we'll have a newborn. Not that the eight weeks not really newborn, but no. Now yeah. it's one it's one family unit, but there yeah, there's a whole myriad and, and as you said, your life's kind of a your house is kind of a revolving is, door yeah. where you may it may be eleven today, thirteen tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, yep, yep. Um one of the things that I have also found uh, you know, I'm just a little bit more of a this kind of person, and <laughs> and and you're able to live like very comfortably amidst the chaos, mm-hmm. uh, and you're also extremely intentional about having fun, about mm-hmm. like creating memories with your family, and including and like you even said grandkids being best friends with grandparents. Give us some like practical like uh, I may never become. Lori Owen in that regard. Um, people will be thankful you don't know. <laughs> but, but I want to get better at, mm-hmm. you know, how do I create memories? And I remember one of my uncles telling me once, memories take work. Mm-hmm. They don't just happen. Mm-hmm. So well, what are some of the things or principles or ideas that you kind of live by to create that family, close family dynamic? Wow, because I just want to say, it, I, I think so much of it is just your family culture, right? I, when I grew up in Anderson, my grandparents were very influential in community. And I didn't, I mean, every Christmas Eve, 30, 40 people in the community at our house. And that's, they, that their lake home was kind of open like that. My parents, I grew up in one of those homes. It was never perfect. It was never beautiful, you know, and, and fancy, but everybody felt welcome there, that my parents were kind of everyone's parents. And, um, and so that it just became a, part of of who I guess I am. I I think people can learn how to open their doors, but you have to open your heart first. And some of that is you have to give up what other people think about you or about the choices that you make. I still daily have um, people that are very special to me that I love dearly not understand choices that I make, you know, because this makes more sense or this seems like it would be hurtful or this would seem this way or that way. But you just have to you know, you just have to do what's best in your heart. I think that's when those memories happen. We don't we don't do a lot of extravagant things as family, but we do crazy, uh, 
dinners and murder mysteries, and, and we just get together a lot, and we're very comfortable with one another. And I think from that, the, the real relationships flow. I don't, I, it doesn't feel like work to me. Now, every birthday party is work because we're all teachers, so they have to be a theme, right? You have to have theme everything. But, but um, genuinely, I just, yeah, I love their company. I will be so glad when COVID is over and all of us can get back together mm-hmm. in kind of one area. So I think it's, it's kind of listening to others, their interest. I don't enjoy everything that we do as a collective group, but, um, but it's just the joy of watching other people have fun. I don't know. Does that make sense? Well, you, you, got, you got the quote of the day right there before you. I mean, if you're going to open your doors, you first have to open your heart. Yeah, I think that's a yeah. really good, you know, you'll be okay with letting people into the mess mm-hmm. um, if your heart is open to allowing them yeah. into the mess. And they will be more comfortable to share their own that's right. sort of yeah. messiness as you kind of say, that's what family hey, is, you know what? right? It's not, yeah. it's not really blood. It's not really birth order. It's, it's just kind of mess that you you walk through together and you laugh a lot and no so and speaking of uh not blood i mean your mm-hmm. family you know again because you've had that sort of mentality your family's been unique and you you mentioned foster care which i think you've done that like true foster care and you've done sort of pretend <laughs> you're living with me for a couple yeah. weeks or you're hanging so tell us a little bit about how some of those things have happened what's that look like i mean if you have a story or two to tell that'd be great to kind of exemplify it but i find that to be you know sometimes we think it's got to be this formal thing or you know uh this permanent thing or but for you it's been kind of all of the above very very organic yes well it did start um i i I guess it did start, quote, formal with the foster system, but we even did that backwards. Um, We just, it was interesting that just a group of people started talking to us about a situation that they were aware of. And, um, and because of that, I kind of stepped into the mess, right? That's what you do. And, um, and we ended up foster parenting officially, but so we were licensed all backwards. We had this, and so everything in the classes, they'd say like, never foster children older than your own. And these are all, I'm like, oh, we're doing everything wrong so far. But, but we learned about the system. And I think that was really good for me as an educator to learn about that system because we're so critical of that system at times. And yet to see how hard these men and women are working and how understaffed they really are and the incredible weight that they carry. Um, it was good to learn about the system. It was hard to to know ultimately the, the whole point of fostering is to get those people, that family, that original family back together. That was really hard sometimes and difficult to process. Um, but it, it was all preparing me, not me, God was preparing me for what would someday turn into an adoption, um, a foster to adopt situation because all of those life lessons helped me hear things differently when they were said to me by our by my adopted son or or when we talked about certain things I had that clinical background I guess to try to process some of that it's still been a great learning curve but other than that I have other um yeah I I have a beautiful daughter named Nina that just um out of bizarre kind of culture circumstances ended up living with us and um it was she's delightful and I, I love her dearly and she'll always be my daughter and um so now I'm best I'm friends with grad and her, a teacher yep, we have a yep she is a teacher a teacher teacher yeah. um I'd have had students um from Grace live with me for different reasons and so now they're still all my daughters and all their babies are my grand boys and yeah so I think it, a lot of it's just like I said you just open the door because somebody needs some place to be did would you say you kind of became known as a person who was willing to take on hard things and and therefore those hard things kind of found you at times <laughs> or was I just looking for them yeah um no i i 
I don't think I'm known to do hard things. I think I'm known. It's probably more of just the overall open attitude to everything. I I've, I guess people have called me like, oh, you're so transparent because I have things in my background I'm not proud of and I wish I could go back and change, but I didn't. So by being a little bit more honest about some of those situations, um, that's, I think, how God uses you to naturally or organically come into some of these relationships and, and really mentor. So I just remember when I first started at Grace, I would, I don't know, I just if people ask questions, I'd tell them, right? And they, oh, you're so transparent. I'd even know what it meant, really. But I thought, no, it's just, my goodness, if I can live that with someone, if I can stand beside someone who's going through that now and say, I wish, I wish, I wish I would have or could have, um, why wouldn't I, you know, mm. share those experiences? So, that's yeah. a That's a wonderful testimony as well, just to be open with the good, the bad, mm-hmm. and that God ha- can take all of it and bring it together um, to make us more like Christ. And then he really wants to use that for us to be able to share his love with others. That's and right. So thank you for the way that you have lived that out on our campus. And we are excited for you, even in this new role. I don't know. Is it still new anymore? I mean, Well, you're, you're, I think it'll be new after COVID. I yeah, think, that's true. I think I'll finally figure out what it is when COVID's <laughs> over and we're all back on campus again. I do. I, I think I freak students out now because in my new office – it, I'm not as um, my proximity with students has definitely changed right in the last few months. So if I see any of them out in the hall, I tend to like go after them. You want some candy? You want? <laughs> do you want to come in and sit down on the couch? So I'm, um, I've got a couple students now that are visiting regularly, so that's good. Yeah, I get I get some some kid breath back in the office. I but. can see how that you know you've you've had that and you love it and yeah. and it's kind of yeah. changed. Yeah. But it's opening up freshman year experience. I'm excited to be working with them again in the fall, and and um, that's something I haven't been able to do as my role as dean. Um, so I'm finding ways to still still be with them. Yeah. Good. Well, thank you for sharing your time and thank you for sharing some of your story with us. My pleasure. And thank you for all of you listening to the Grace Story podcast today. Music was written and produced by Dr. Wally Brath, Assistant Professor of Worship Arts at Grace College. Thanks also to Andrew Palladino and Rick Neer for serving as our producers. And if you could do us a huge favor and rate and comment on this podcast wherever you retrieved it from, we would be so grateful. Until next time, live your best grace story today.